You're listening to episode 11 of the We Get the Runs podcast. In this episode, we'll talk about outrunning cancer and spreading hope. Welcome to the We Get the Runs podcast. We're your hosts, Letty and Angela, and we invite you to join us as we chat about all things running. In this podcast, we talk tips, tactics, and strategies to make running a favorite part of your life. Hey, runners. Hey, runners. How are you doing, Angela? I'm doing great. How are you, Letty? I'm doing well as well. That's awesome. How was your week of running? It was good. How was yours? It was good. Any cool workouts? Um, just the regular. How about you? I did something a little bit different I will share with you, especially for all Florida runners. So I went for a run with a friend down at one of the colleges here, and she suggested that we do some hill training. Nice. How would you do that? <laughs> exactly. That my response, exactly. How are we going to do hill training? We live in Florida. <laughs> so uh, being that we were at the college and it's not open, there's no one in any of the parking garages. So for all Florida runners or anyone else who lives in a flat area, if you want to get some hill training, of course there are bridges, but also you can use a parking garage. How fun. That sounds like a video game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. So we just ran, you know, up the ramps all the way to the top and then ran it down. And I guess we only did it one time, but I guess if you really were working towards getting more hill training, you could do repeats up it or whatever you want to do. That's cool. That's a great idea. What benefits do you think we can get from hill training? Yeah. So, I mean, I noticed just from doing that, you know, doing that, um, parking garage one time I noticed that I felt some changes in my legs because I don't do any hill training here but so I listed out some some of the different benefits from runner's world and I know it's controversial some people feel that run that hill training is really important and other people feel that it shouldn't be part of a training program you know some people overemphasize it and others think that it may not benefit so I listed out some of the benefits that they have and it lists that training on hills improves your leg muscle strength it quickens your stride, expands your stride length, develops your cardiovascular system, enhances your running economy, and can even protect your leg muscles against soreness, apparently. Nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. We'll have to give so it a try. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Who's next up, we have our highlighted runner. Highlighted runner. Very cool. So we will be hearing from Matt Obreisky. Hey guys, it's Matt Obersky. I love running because it's everything. I love running because it helps me focus. It helps me de-stress. And I love running because it helps me see a lot more things in the world than I would if I was just standing still. Thanks guys. That was great. Thank you, Matt, for saying that and participating. And if you want to hear yourself on our podcast, um, send us a voicemail and let us know why you love running. And what are we going to talk about today, Angela? Today's podcast is called Outrunning Cancer. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, so Outrunning Cancer. Today we're going to hear from Phil Shin, who we interviewed about his journey. Phil has been a runner for many years, and he has had cancer twice and beaten it both times in the liver. He's going to tell us about his journey, how he dealt with cancer, how much he's been running, and how he came up with his hashtag, Outrunning Cancer. He's also going to tell us about the foundation, Brave Like Gabe, that he's an advocate for. Phil's a very inspirational person. He's an ambassador of the LA Marathon, and we're going to hear from him now. So I'm here with Phil Shin. Phil, thank you so much for joining me and doing this episode with me. Hey, Letty. It's great to hear from you. It's been a long time. Last time we saw each other, we were uh, at the finish line of the LA Marathon, huh? <laughs> yeah, the last marathon that happened this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. We lucked out on that so, one. So, Phil, you beat cancer and your journey of how it all happened and how you managed this traumatic experience has been amazing and just really inspirational for many of us. So I can't wait to hear you tell your story. But before we go there, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are, what you do, et cetera? Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, so my name is Phil Shin. I'm born and raised in California. Um, I'm a husband to my wife, Sharon, and uh, the father to our uh, wonderful uh, 15-year-old son, uh, Will. Uh, we currently live in uh, South Pasadena, California, which is just a small uh, town, just uh, like 10 minutes north of downtown Los Angeles. And uh, I'm currently uh, in IT. I'm not the most exciting person, but you know, I'm definitely a runner. So that's, I guess that's kind of that's like how our, our paths cross. I've been running marathons uh, probably, well, my first marathon, I guess it was back in 2000. So um, it was the uh, 2000 LA Marathon. And um, I, I was turning 30 that year, so I thought I'd kind of do something meaningful uh, with my life to celebrate that milestone and trying to figure out what it was. And then I saw in the paper that literally like that following Saturday or something, there was, you know, they're, they're going to have the LA Marathon. I said, oh, I'll give that a try. <laughs> Wait, you had two so, weeks of prep time? That's it? Maybe maybe less than two weeks, actually. But yeah, so I thought, well, how hard can it be, right? So, um, and turned out it was, it's actually very hard to do when, you know, it's hard enough training, you know, you know, to run it after, you know, doing a proper training cycle, but doing it, you know, without any training, it's actually <laughs> even harder. So, Did you, were you so, a yeah. runner at all beforehand or were you? No, just... no. And no, not at all. I would, um, the, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but like the LA marathon was like the first time I ever put a race bib on my shirt. I'd never even raced like a 5k or, or even like a jog walk, you know? So, oh yeah, my. Just go. so you've been running for 20 years then basically, and, um, you've managed to get a better time. What was your PR at the time or right before your diagnosis? Uh, let's see. So my PR before my diagnosis, uh, that would have been the 2018, uh, LA marathon. So, and I did that one in 
just under four hours. And it was just one of those things where I kind of kept flaming out because by then I had quite a bit of running experience under my belt. And now I wanted to like really try and qualify for the Boston Marathon. But my problem was that I just couldn't, you know, close the deal on the marathon where I would run. And I'm, I'm sure you've experienced too, where the first 18 miles, you just feel like gold. I mean, everything's just going perfectly. And then once you hit the 20 mile mark, then the wheels kind of fell apart for me. You know, basically for every BQ attempt I made, um, it the wheels just always fall apart anywhere between miles 18 to 22. So just trying to find a way to break through that barrier was just one of those, it, it was just one of those unsolved mysteries for me until after my cancer diagnosis is really ironic, but yeah, so... Yeah. So then tell me, tell me how that happened because, um, it seems like you were pretty fit and, and nothing was going wrong, but then did you have pains that made you go to the doctor or how did that all happen? No, no, I was never symptomatic. So I kind of just stumbled onto my diagnosis out of blind luck. Uh, and it's actually tied to my son. So my son has a hearing impairment and, um, uh, he's been wearing hearing aids pretty much since the day he was uh, born. So uh, the hearing aids that he uh, was fitted with started breaking down because they're, they're just quite old. So they're about like five years old and the hearing aids just tend to break down. Uh, the uh, health insurance policy at my work at the time didn't have a very good hearing aid benefit. So we explored some other uh, uh, insurance uh, plans uh, from my company and there was one that actually had a much better uh, hearing aid benefit. So we decided to switch for that year so I can get that hearing aid benefit. <clears throat> so uh, as a result, I actually had to change my uh, doctor. So I had a new primary care physician. And uh, so when I went in for my initial checkup with the new physician, uh, I kind of told him my history and you know, he ordered like a full panel of tests because I also told him that I had a history of hepatitis in my family. So he then said, well, let's go ahead and order like these liver tests because hepatitis is kind of tied to the liver. So I said, okay. So um, I, again, at the time I was just, I was feeling fine. I was, you know, consistently running like anywhere between 40 to 60 miles a week. So I was, I was feeling pretty good. I, so I went into the test, you know, expecting nothing, but the blood test that, you know, uh, I took, the results came back and gave evidence of a tumor. So from there, they had me going for an ultrasound and that kind of confirmed that there was, you know, some type of mass in my liver. So then from there, they may be going for an MRI, then a CT scan, and then uh, they confirmed literally uh, about a month after my um, uh, LA, after the 2018 marathon that I had liver cancer. So um, to come out finishing an, you know, a marathon and being told that, you know, you have stage two liver cancer was just not something, you know, any, any of us were expecting. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of how we came across the diagnosis. So it was literally just by chance. And, and how did you handle that diagnosis? Um, what, what, what went through your head at the time? Yeah, yeah. So no, it was definitely by chance. And in, in, in a sense, I mean, just kind of tie back to my son. I mean, you could, say that you know his you know his hearing aid you know potentially saved my life right because had we not you know had you know switched insurance providers and you know had a new doctor we we never we would have just continued on with our lives thinking that nothing was wrong 
Um, but yeah, so to get that diagnosis, it was, I mean, I was like, you know, <laughs> the, I, everybody responds to it differently, I guess, but for me, it was just sheer shock. I mean, I, here I am, I'm, I'm like feeling like the fittest I've ever been, you know, I am literally just trying everything in my power to try and qualify for the Boston Marathon. So, and you know, everything that you have to do to sacrifice that in terms of, you know, just really being vigilant about your health. So to get that diagnosis, kind of put a stop on everything that we wanted to do because we just were just complete shock. But um, the doctors actually didn't give us much time to really kind of um, deal with uh, the diagnosis because the tumor was so big. They said, "Look, we need to treat this. Um, we need to treat this cancer immediately." And you know, the only option really is to just remove the tumor, you know, from the liver. Uh, at, uh, as soon as possible. So uh, three weeks after my diagnosis, I was actually uh, in surgery to remove that tumor. So that doesn't give you a whole lot of time to, to really think about it. Because I was healthy, they didn't have any concerns that I'd be able to survive the surgery. Um, but I did kind of like ask, okay, well, if you remove, you know, this big tumor from my liver, like, what's that going to do to my liver? I mean, am I going to be able to live normally? Is my liver going to continue functioning normally? And this is what I learned that, you know, uh, the liver is actually the only organ in the body that regenerates. So they said, when we remove, you know, that portion of your liver with the tumor in it, your liver is actually going to grow back, you know, to full size and full function uh, within a matter of weeks. Oh, no, okay, well, that's cool. Let's go ahead and cut it out then. So that's why we decided that that's the best course of action, because it was really just, you know, cut it out. And because I was never symptomatic, right? It, it hadn't spread anywhere. It was just isolated to the liver. We just thought, let's just cut it out and, you know, move on. And hopefully it won't come back. So that's why we decided to take that course of action. And um, I, you know, I, we went in, surgery went beautifully. I recovered and... I was I was only in the hospital for three days, and then I was back home, uh, and I returned to work after about uh, for about a month. So, and then starting started running in from there. And then you actually got a PR after that, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, after uh, I recovered from the surgery, I started running again, and a friend of mine actually. Uh, bought me a registration for uh, a marathon in October, which would have been five months after my <laughs> surgery. And I said, well, that's a nice gift, but, you know, flowers or you know, a card would have been nice. But I guess some friends just really wanted to see me start running again. So I said, all right, okay, well, let's do this. So, so yeah, so I, started, <laughs> yeah, so I got like this huge 15-inch scar on my abdomen. And, you know, but, you know, again, it just it's kind of like the beauty of, you know, medicine and technology now that you can actually recover from this pretty quickly. So I was able to start running again, you know, normally uh, about two months after my surgery. And that gave me, you know, over three months to like actually put in a proper training block to train for this marathon. So I was hitting my mileage and, you know, but the thing was, it was great. I wasn't really training, you know, for, you know, for a time, I was just kind of really running I, I wasn't really training it was really just running for you know for being able to run again I was just so grateful that I could run again and cancer free that you know I said look I, I just want to enjoy the process now because you know when you train for a marathon it's not the most enjoyable process right so this time I went in with a completely different perspective and appreciation for you know the journey of 
and that's what I really embraced because I really wanted to just and just enjoy the fact that I could actually get out and go for a run. You know, I can I can actually you know you know put in the mileage and just you know uh, run a marathon because I know that there are other people who you know who would love you know who are who are suffering from cancer or you know some type of uh, uh, disability who aren't able to run but want to run. So that's kind of like what was always like my platform. So like I'm I'm running because I can run. So um, so yeah. So uh, five months later, I towed the start line at the uh, Revel Big Bear Marathon. And again, I had no time uh, you know, set in my mind. I said, look, I just, I just want to run and enjoy it. I, I, you know, I, I'm just going to run literally based on feel. If I'm enjoying it, if I'm feeling good, then I'm going to keep going. If I'm feeling terrible, then I'll, I'll pull back. And, you know, so the, you know, the race started and by the time I hit like mile 20, I was like looking at my watch and yeah, I wasn't even thinking of what my BQ time would be. I just, I just looked at my watch at like mile 20. I said, wait a sec. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm well under three hours right now. I think I'm in the BQ window. And again, the mile 20 is usually the part where like the wheels start falling apart, but you know, I just kind of did like the quick, you know, self check at mile 20. I said, you know, I feel really good right now. I'm going to just kind of keep, going with this and see what happens and then by like mile 25 I said oh my gosh not only am I under uh not only am I under you know on BQ pace I'm actually in the under five minute <laughs> qualifying window right now so I was like all right well let's just let's finish this off and I ended up running like almost eight minutes underneath my uh, uh BQ qualifying time and then uh on top of that I ended up uh PRing by over 30 minutes so, and the entire time, lady, I wasn't even looking at my watch. It was just like I looked at the finishing time. And I said, "Holy crap! I just, <laughs> I just crushed this. I just crushed this race." So, so that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, was, I know it's just what I, I think you of all people would really, you know, appreciate that because it's just like, you know, you don't even think about it. It's almost like you know, you're just kind of like in that Zen state. And, you know, just. You're, the last thing you're thinking about is just, you know, running for time, looking at your splits. I was like, look, I'm just having a great time. And, you know, by like mile 20, I was like still passing people. And it's like, you can't be right. <laughs> That's awesome. That's one of those, yeah. you know, you don't get many races like that, but when they do happen, they're amazing. Yeah. When those stars align, it's just, I mean, it, it you feel unstoppable. So, um, so yeah, yeah. So that, that was like, I, I just kind of felt like that was like the, marathon god giving me this gift i mean it's already a gift to be able to you know uh to be free of cancer but to uh also you know finally fulfill my you know runner's life dream it was just absolutely amazing so yeah by such so, a yeah. big window too i know i know i know uh it uh, I, I still honestly can't explain it uh, anybody i tell the story do they just look at me and roll there i said no no that can't be right but <laughs> i said well look at look at all the times i've ran before and i i'll tell you it, it it's not even close to that so but you know so uh yeah so then unfortunately like literally like uh, a month after that race i got some not so great news and um uh, uh, from the highest of highs of, you know, uh, achieving that dream, I all came crashing down again when I went in for a follow-up blood test and there was indication, you know, of a new tumor in my liver. So, um, yeah, so then we kind of had to go through this uh, process all over again of trying to figure out, you know, how to beat this 
answer. And what options did they give you the second time around? Um, not as good. Um, the, um, so uh, what happened was uh, there was a uh, presence of a brand new tumor uh, in my liver. And uh, they, when they called me back in, uh, I said, okay, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to do the same surgery or are we going to do, because the tumor is somewhat smaller, are we going to do something less invasive? And they said, nope. All the things that we had on the table are no longer on the table because because the tumor because the cancer came back so quickly, um, you know that doing any type of surgery to remove the tumor tumor or target the tumors, it's just going to be more like a band aid uh, uh, treatment. Your only option is actually going to be a liver transplant, and that was like the last thing. I mean, transplant was like the not something we had on our radar at all because we just that's not something that we really considered because again i look i just qualified for the boston marathon i mean now there's got to be other options right so but they said no no um because the tumor came back so quickly it's very likely that there are cancer cells spread all over your liver right now so my surgeon just said you know she's just very direct she just said look your liver is now a tumor factory and the only thing we can do to help you is to remove that factory and replace it with a brand new liver so wow okay well what what does that entail and um they said well you need to get listed um so we'll 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 get you placed on uh the liver transplant list and because the tumor is so small, you'd be on the very bottom of the list. I went, okay, well, how do you move up? Well, the tumor has to get bigger, meaning you need to let this tumor continue to grow in you rather than treat it right now, which is ridiculous to me. I, but that's the process, you know, to um, to move up on the transplant list. Because the transplant list, it's all point-based. And the points are calculated based on... Um, the health of the patient, the stage of the liver disease or liver cancer. Um, I never really had liver disease. I just kind of had cancer in my liver. Otherwise, it was a very uh, healthy liver and fully functioning. But um, they just said, look, we, in order to get you up higher on that list, you're going to need to let the tumor grow to over two centimeters. And at the time, it was less than a centimeter. So I just... I, I mean, that's not something that, you know, I could get my arms around because it's like, you know, when you see a problem, you treat it immediately, right? But in this case, oh, we need to let the problem persist so that it gets bigger and gets, so we can get you higher up on the list. That's crazy. And yeah. then, it is, right? It is. It's, it's totally crazy. And then, and then they hit me with this bomb. They said, um, so even if the, even if the tumor uh, reaches that threshold and you get the points move up higher on the list, that's probably as high as you're going to get for a while because of my age, my health, uh, my fitness. They said that, you know, I'm probably not going to get a new liver for about three years just because uh, I'm I'm too healthy. So um, I can imagine. I know, I know. Imagine running around with a disease like that in your body for three years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Because, you know, cancer... You can't control cancer. You can't tell it to just stay here, stay, you know, stay right here and 
don't do anything, right? Cancer always has its own agenda. It's going to go where it wants to go. So, um, so yeah, uh, but, you know, living here in Southern California, the, um, the pool of livers, it's very, um, we're in a high demand region uh, for uh, liver transplants. So I would be placed pretty low on that list, um, despite the fact that I had liver cancer. And it's all because of my age and my health. So it's not the most ideal <laughs> process uh, to, you know, to get an uh, organ. But, you know, again, that's uh, the difference is that this is to get an organ from a deceased donor. So the other option that they presented to us was to present to receive a liver from a uh, from a from a donor, so uh, and what what's entailed in that is actually you know reach out to your network of family, friends, colleagues, and see if they're a physical match with me to um, to become my donor. And in this case, you know they would actually uh, come in for surgery, uh, remove a portion of their healthy liver and then replace my entire cancerous liver with that uh, portioned liver. And then again, because the liver regenerates, it would grow back to full size and function in both the donor and the recipient. So, so that was the option that we pursued to reach out to our family and friends uh, to see if anybody would be interested in becoming my donor. That's gonna have been difficult too for you to do yeah, yeah. I actually couldn't do it uh, because I just wasn't, I didn't have it in me to to reach out to, you know, family and friends and say, hey, look, I need you to risk your life to save my life. Um, it's, for me, uh, that's, that's the unaskable. So uh, thankfully, um, my family, particularly my sister, Sandy, uh, she's the one who stepped up and uh, reached out to, you know, our entire network of family and friends to see if uh, they could, you know, uh, consider becoming my donor. So she crafted this, this detailed email, sent, you know, pushed it out to, you know, our, all our friends and family. And um, I found out later that over, over, uh, I, I found out later that 16 people had actually submitted themselves to be my donor, which, just it, it just blew my mind that you know that many people would be willing to step up right away to to become my donor so so yeah yeah that was a pretty uh that was a pretty uh, uh emotional and draining process because it's not a it's not a quick process at all uh, the uh the process it, it really is you know um evaluating all the responses to the questionnaires and then based on that they would rate you know those responses and then they would, yeah, they would rank the donors from, you know, the best match to the uh, to the lowest match, and then they would evaluate them one at a time. So, so that was that was the process for that. And it, again, it's a very lengthy process. And when all when all that is happening, is that kind of an anonymous thing, and you're kept in the dark about it, or do they keep you in the loop and say, hey, we've got some responses, we're doing this or that? Yeah, no, that's a good question. It's actually completely anonymous to me. 
So um, the and the reason why that is because uh, the transplant center or all transplant centers, but microtransplant centers specifically, uh, Tech USC, um, they uh, want to uh, keep the donor process separate from the recipient because they want to avoid any conflicts of interest and any undue influence from myself or my family. So to, just to basically avoid, you know, applying any pressure that may result in them either changing their mind or even worse, forcing them into a situation where, you know, they're not comfortable, you know, being in, and that could lead to obviously future issues, right? So, um, so I'm completely isolated from that, and uh, and the donor is completely isolated from my situation because again, they don't want to know that like I'm getting sicker, so they need to like speed in the process. You know, they, it's not like that at all. So they they're they're handled by a completely separate medical team uh, from my medical team, and it it, it it's entirely by design. So. Um, so you had no idea which ones of your friends were in the process of. Um, they didn't tell you either. Yeah. No, no, yeah, they didn't tell me, uh, nobody, uh, well, I mean, some of them told me that they submitted themselves, but no, certainly nobody told me that they were actually going through the process of being evaluated. And I think that was, they were probably given direct instructions not to. So, uh, because again, they, they don't want to create a situation where you know, they're going through the process and then they're telling me, oh, hey, look, I'm getting evaluated. This is going to happen. And all of a sudden they find something that actually removes them from it, right? So right. the emotional cost associated with that, it's just not worth it, right? Because it's hard enough dealing with it, you know, you know without any knowledge. But I, I do think it actually would have been worse had I known because I would have just been praying for updates, you know, from that person, you know, as often as possible. And I think that would have probably driven me, you know, more mad than, um, or driven me more crazy than, um, than uh, just not knowing, you know? Right. So instead you were just probably running a lot, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> to deal with all yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, so yeah, so I got that diagnosis in, um, in November of 2018, which again was just, uh, a month after running that BQ race. So I actually had another marathon on my uh, list and, uh, you know, that I was already uh, uh, registered for, which would have been the CIM uh, in uh, uh, California. Um, and that was in December. So uh, after I got that diagnosis, after I got that diagnosis of the recurrence uh, in November, I just put everything into that training block leading up to CIM. And uh, I guess it worked because I BQ'd again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So this time I was, I think I was, that one was just a result of pure just anger and frustration and just put everything I had into that one. So that one was, that one was really meaningful uh, for me. So, uh, so yeah, but again, at that time, I was still kind of like in the cloud, um, in a cloud of darkness in terms of, you know, what you know, uh, what's going to happen to me. You're being told you're mm -hmm. sick and then you keep BQing and, and you're feeling healthy, but then you know something is growing inside of you that's not so healthy. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, but I'll tell you, I mean, I, it could have gone in one or two ways, Letty. I mean, I could have really let it, you know, get a grip on me and just put me in, you know, send me down this dark place where, you know, I just wouldn't want to, you know, come out of the bedroom or leave the house. But instead, I decided to take it out on cancer on the roads. So, um, so 
so I just ran and ran and ran and ran uh, until I couldn't run anymore because I, at that point I just kind of made a, a personal statement that I wasn't going to let cancer outrun me, that I was actually going to outrun cancer. So um, it, I just, it was my way of kind of sh telling myself and you know, I guess uh, to a degree telling cancer that look, you can't stop me from doing what makes me feel alive. It worked. It really did. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's really just kind of like going out for a run and, you know, uh, letting out all your frustrations. But I really kind of wanted to fortify, you know, that statement by saying not only am I trying to run to just, you know, let out all my frustrations, I, I was literally just like envisioning myself in a race with cancer and I was going to outrun it. So, um, and it, it helped, it really did, because um, I, I do feel that had I decided to just go the other way and just, you know, churn, uh, you know, feel sorry for myself and, which again, it, it, it's, it's a normal, it's a normal reaction, you know, to feel sorry for yourself, get down on yourself. Um, I, I do feel that by taking the other approach uh, to try and outrun cancer, it actually, it actually saved my life because I do, I do believe that by um, empowering myself to continue to remain active uh, through um, any type of physical activity, whether it's just going for a walk, going for a run, going for a bike ride, it, it, it puts it puts you one step ahead of cancer that, you know, you're moving forward is progress. And I do feel that that helped me quite a bit because by the time I actually went in for my transplant, I was probably in the best physical shape I'd ever been because not only did I run that um, uh, CIM in December, I reran LA in March of 2019. And uh, I, I actually did a course PR by uh, over 20 minutes for LA because you know LA is not the easiest course so, <laughs> it's not so no. yeah so yeah so I did a 20 minute uh course PR there then I got to run the London Marathon um uh about six weeks after that and I I ran a really good time there and then uh I ran um Mountains to Beach where I met you for the first time uh and I ended up BQing again there so since my cancer diagnosis, I had actually run five marathons in seven months and BQ'd in three of them. So it, again, it was just like, that was my, that was kind of like my walk off, you know, to, you know, to cancer saying, Hey, look, I just outran you. So, you know, keep trying to, <laughs> keep, right. keep trying to, you know, keep trying to stay ahead of me. But, you know, that, that was just kind of like my way of just proving to myself that I, it, you know, cancer can be outrun. So. Right, and that everything so, yeah. was only just a matter of time until the donor would be there. And um, in exactly. the meantime, you just kept BQing. And what, what did you get your um, PR down to? Uh, so the, uh, the, mountains to, the, the Mountains to Beach one, I would call that my official BQ because the first one I ran, that was like a major downhill race. Uh, the one I did in October of 2018, that was a Revel race. So I think I did Revel in three hours and 12 minutes. But uh, Mountains to Beach, which you know is not an easy course, even though it's a net downhill, I actually did that one in 316. So I kind of like banked that as my PR because I think that's a more traditional uh, marathon as opposed to the extreme downhill. Um, right, but, but then, either one of yeah. those have their difficulties. You know, you burn your quads running downhill too. 
Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, um, but no, I mean, uh, yeah, and then I also, I did, um, um, I ran, uh, uh, which one was it? A CIM in 318. And that's, you know, that's not an easy course either, because it's got like the rolling hills. So it's, I'll take the 318 or the 316 as my BQ, but my, my goal is to try and PR at Boston, you know, whenever that happens. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully next year. So. so then when you did get a donor, how did you find out and um, how did it happen? Tell me that part, because I, I yeah. love that part of your story. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was funny. So, um, so during, while I'm doing all this running, I mean, there, I still had a lot of periods of dark moments because it's just frustrating being in the, you know, in the unknown, right? So you know that something has to happen, but you're being kept completely in the dark. Uh, and like you said earlier, you know, meanwhile, you know that you have this cancer growing in you. So I, um, I did everything I could to try and keep my mind off it. You know, I worked, I ran, I spent time with my family, uh, but you knew that everybody knew that they were thinking the same thing that I was, right? But I had a special uh, couple of friends, you know, two of my best friends, uh, Mark and Eric. <clears throat> Eric was my roommate um, uh, right out of, right after college. So when we both got our first jobs, Eric and I met at the job and we decided to become roommates. And then Eric had a best friend named Mark, uh, who was in Ohio at the time. And the three of us, you know, we would we would get together, you know, every few months because Mark would fly out to California to hang out with us. Um, so we we became really good friends. So this I've known Mark and Eric for well over 20 years now. And, you know, uh, Eric ended up leaving L.A. and then Mark moved to Portland. But we still communicated through either telephone or through uh, primarily through text. So we had this really fun text exchange between the three of us that had been going on for years. Uh, and it's like we never graduated college. So <laughs> I always kind of, yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it, you know, we talk about music, we, you know, complain about stuff, we talk about movies. It's just, it's just like, you know, you hang out with your girlfriends and talking about all the nonsense, right? So, um, so it was great. It was, it was a really, really nice escape for me, you know, from the realities I was dealing with. Because, you know, these guys rarely asked me about it. I mean, certainly they, they were concerned. But they knew that, you know, I was looking to, you know, our little circle. So we, you know, we're just hanging out and, you know, it got to like August, right? So this would have been three months after uh, Mountains to Beach. And this is probably when I was like at my worst place. Because by now, you know, we're, we're well over, you know, um, uh, six months past, you know, the period where, you know, people, have, my donor would have been evaluated. So, uh, and I knew that someone was in the process of being evaluated because that's what my team told me, my medical team told me. So during the, during this exchange of texts with Derek and Mark, we're just, you know, we're just laughing about something <laughs> out of nowhere. Mark fires off a text saying, hey, uh, what's the latest with your donor situation? And, you know, I thought it was kind of weird because they'd never really, we'd never really ex exchanged on that, right? So they knew that, you know, I was going through this, but we didn't really talk about it in detail. So I just responded, oh, well, you know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm still waiting. I understand somebody's being, you know, uh, evaluated, but I, that's all I know. And then Mark responded, he goes, well, that's funny because um, they told me that they weren't going to let me know that you knew until they told you. And then I responded, then what are you talking about? <laughs> this, this doesn't make any sense to me. And, and then Mark responded, 
well, it's because I'm the donor, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And I just started laughing. It was like, it was just, I mean, it it was just so hilarious. And then like 10 seconds later, it just hit me. It it hit me so hard, like with a baseball bat that, oh my God, Mark's going to save my life. Mark. Mark's my donor, and that's when I just dropped the phone. I just started crying. Uh, I mean, I was just bawling, and then I ran to my, uh, I ran to my wife, and uh, you know, told her the news, and you know, she's crying also. We're crying together, and then about a minute later, we come to, and then I hear my phone go off, and I I pick it up, and it's Mark texting. Goes, hello, (laughs) (laughs) are you there? Because I still hadn't responded to him revealing himself as my donor and that's what I just responded to. oh sorry man oh, we're still crying over here so yeah oh my yeah, god that's, uh, that's how I found out and you know Mark was certainly not one of the first people I thought would be my donor I thought it'd be like a family member or something like that right but uh Mark you know who I hadn't physically seen in you know in, in you know, a few years at this point, at least three years, um, for him to reveal himself as my donor was just the most special moment and uh, and really just one of the most gratifying moments of my life. Yeah, so. what an amazing friend. I mean, it's not even, friend can't even be the right word for this. No, 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 he's a hero. He's, he's, he is a true hero. He's a saint. Whatever um, cinnamon is assigned, a you know, uh, with those words, that, that is what he is. So, so yeah, yeah. So he, um, he, and it turned out like, you know, out of all the respondents, you know, to the survey, he was actually the highest rated one as well, because he and I were the exact same blood type match. We were the same body type, the same height, the same size, roughly. And then on on top of that, you know, our birthday, we were born a week apart. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So he, he and I were basically like a clone of each other. Right. Except he's the white version of me and I'm the Asian version of him, (laughs) I guess. So, so yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, um, once we kind of, um, uh, you know, came, you know, came back to earth and realized, okay, look, it, it's great. We know now uh, it's confirmed. Let's go ahead and get this thing scheduled. So three weeks later, uh, we are um, at Keck uh, at uh, USC uh, 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 getting prepared for uh, our surgery. And um, yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, you know, Mark and I, we were uh, in the pre-op room. Uh, our beds were right next to each other, which was awesome. So we got to see each other, you know, our, you know, our, um, uh, my wife was able to see his girlfriend, uh, um, uh, you know, it was just really, really nice. It was like that nice, quiet, intimate moment where everything's peaceful, everything's calm, you know, I think it would have been much harder had I been by myself with just my wife and, you know, Mark had been, you know, by himself with, you know, his girlfriend. The fact that the four of us could just kind of spend those final moments together, uh, it really kind of calmed us all and put us in a state of peace that this is going to, we're, we're going to do this and we're going to come out great. So the LA Marathon, they were so kind and generous uh, to be willing to share my story in, in really nice detail um, uh, uh, last year. Uh, and it's still available on their website. Uh, they actually documented the process of me, you know, having the cancer the first time, the recurrence and the process of waiting for it and then having, you know, the um the transplant with Mark. Um yeah, they they captured it 
really, really nicely. Um, so yeah, kudos to the uh, to our friends over at the LA Marathon and to ASICS and all of them for uh, willing to tell my story and hopefully make a difference to others who were going through the same thing that I did. So, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, yeah. I I link those yeah. videos in our in our podcast notes um, because I found the videos on YouTube oh, and nice you. and it's just amazing. It's very very inspirational and it's nice to that our listeners will be able to put a face to your voice as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's super nice of you, Letty. I appreciate it. So yeah, yeah. So but you know the uh, surgery went the, the surgery just went fantastic. You know, Mark, Mark and I, we were only in the hospital for uh, six days, and we were actually discharged the exact same day, which was really nice. And then we had Mark put up at uh, our neighbor's guest house across the street from our house. So we were actually able to recover together as well. So we'd go on these nice recovery walks together every morning. So, um, yeah. And, um, you know, we, we were able to recover from the surgery, you know, pretty quickly. And um, Mark went back home to Portland uh, two weeks after the surgery. And uh, I, I, I haven't had an issue, you know, since the transplant. And I started running again a month after the uh, transplant. <laughs> Don't tell my doctors, but yeah, they, they, they definitely weren't excited about the prospect of me running again, but that was like one of the first things I asked, you know, when I you know was feeling better, you know, in the hospital, okay, when can I start running again? Because um, it's funny, I didn't, I, I don't think I shared this with anybody, but um, when um, I had, I had actually submitted uh, my application for the Boston Marathon before um I went in for the transplant and then uh, three days after the surgery, while I was, uh, you know, still in the hospital, I got the email notification on my phone that I had been accepted into the Boston Marathon. So <laughs> as soon as I got that, I was like, I was ready to put on my running shoes right there and start running like right away. So I like asked my doctors, okay, when can I, look, I got proof right here. I got a, mar- I got, I got the Boston Marathon waiting for me. I got to, I got to get training. Oh, wow. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So yeah, talk about you know some added motivation. Well, you added some extra motivation <laughs> because you also signed up for the LA Marathon, which was before the Boston Marathon. I did, I did, yeah, yeah. So the LA Marathon, it's just uh, it's my favorite marathon. It'll always be my favorite marathon. So um, one of the uh, biggest inspirations for me throughout this entire cancer journey was uh, Gabe Grunewald. Uh, she was a professional runner uh, who also had um, uh, cancer. Uh, her cancer was under the category of rare. Um, I believe her cancer affected uh, less than 5%, you know, of the cancer population. So she used her running journey to help inspire, you know, cancer fighters everywhere to keep going and you know to keep fighting and to not lose hope uh her platform the brave like gate foundation uh their entire platform is based on the concept of running on hope so and i quickly embraced that because when i was after i had my first surgery i'd I'd always heard of her but after i had my surgery uh i i I saw a story about her and the same liver surgery that she had because she also had a very large tumor sitting in her liver and she had the exact same surgery I had the first time. She actually got the exact same scar that I did. So that's when I said, well, who is this person? And, you know, what, how is this person still running? And I, I just kind of looked at that and, 
getting so much inspiration from it. I said, well, if she can do it, then there's no reason why I can't do it. So um, I reached out to her, you know, through social media, and she immediately connected with me right away and was inspired by my story because uh, I told her that I was actually waiting for a liver transplant that, you know, my cancer came back. So she and I, we kept encouraging each other, you know, through through social media, you know, to, you know, to keep running, to keep living your life, to do the things, you know, that make you feel alive. So from that point, I kind of made the Brave Like Gabe Foundation, you know, one of my, you know, uh, you know, one of my platforms to try and help her and other cancer survivors and fighters like myself, you know, to continue to live their life despite, you know, their uh, diagnoses. So um, after my transplant, I knew that I had the LA Marathon coming up. So um, by then, Gabe had actually passed away back in uh, June of uh, 2019. So I kind of wanted to pick up the ball, you know, where that she had left behind and try and do my own thing to try and help inspire and uh, raise hope uh, through my journey uh, in leading up to the LA Marathon. So um, the idea I came up with is, well, why don't I try and start a team for the LA Marathon? So I uh, reached out to Gabe's husband, Justin, who's also a very accomplished runner, and asked his permission if I could you know, start uh, a Brave Like Gabe team for the LA Marathon. And Justin responded right away. He said, oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, no, you you have my blessing. Let me know what you need. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and announce it and see if anybody wants to join me. And uh, 20 people, including Letty Lunkus, <laughs> responded right away. Say, hey, I want to be a part of this. So so I said, okay, cool. So we started uh uh, we started a Brave Like Gabe uh, fundraising page, and uh, we set up, you know, uh, a target that I didn't think we'd be able to reach because, you know, the it was we only had three months really to try and do something. Because um, I started it in December and the LA Marathon was in March, I said, okay, well, let's just put a stretch target of ten thousand dollars and see if we can hit that. And I wasn't expecting us to because it just wasn't enough time. But we ended up hitting it like on the day of the LA Marathon, and that was just, yeah, that 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 was just such a fun and an inspiring experience, you know, for us and the team because I was able to, you know, build this team who, who you know, who are inspired by my story, but more importantly, were inspired by Gabe's story, and were willing to try and help me, you know, build this platform by either helping us, you know, fundraise or by simply sharing their running story and using, you know, their story to share Gabe's story. So uh, by the time we actually towed the line, you know, at Dodger Stadium, you know, we had 20 runners all dressed up in their Brave Like Gabe uh, singlets that were just donated from Justin. Uh, we had, you know, blue heart-shaped balloons, which is one of the uh, uh, symbols of the Brave Like Gabe Foundation. We ran with those and, um, we we also had a, a good friend of mine uh, who's also a big advocate for the Brave Like Gabe Foundation, who's also fighting um, um, an incurable cancer, uh, Joel Stetler, run with us. And he and I, we ran, you know, from start to finish. We also had another runner, uh, Carrie Ann, who also just uh, uh, overcame breast cancer, you know, that same year, run with us. 
So it was just such a magical day. And uh, thank you. I, I don't think I've ever had an opportunity to thank you personally, Letty, but thank you so much for being a part of that. It was it just meant so much to me. Oh, you have. Um, but you're welcome. So, yeah. <laughs> you have. <laughs> thank you for standing up and doing this for everybody. You're an amazing and really inspiring person. And it's just a blessing to have you in our lives. Oh, thanks. Well, again, it's it's not just me. I, I'm I'm just saying, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to gather people together, you know, who share the same passions and belief I do that, you know, running is such a wonderful platform to spread hope. And um, the fact that, you know, you know, every single person on our team had their own story, because, you know, most people they have, they've had some experience with cancer or some type of uh, uh, life threatening uh, disease. So to have, you know, this band of, you know, 20 runners willing to lay it, lay it all out on the streets of L.A. Uh, to, 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 you know, spread hope, it, it meant everything to me. And, uh, and on top of that, you ran a killer race that day. I mean, when I saw you before the race, I said, wow, she is going to smoke this race. And you ended up doing a massive course PR didn't course you? PR yes but I, I was not doing so well after mile 20 <laughs> I know I know that's the hard part but no you you crushed it though because I I mean yeah when I saw it I said no Letty here she's gonna be hours ahead of us by the time she gets to Santa Monica <laughs> well I came back and I showered and I looked for you guys and I actually saw you guys crossing the finish line and it was pretty emotional yeah. just to see you and hugging your family and just the joy that everybody was there is amazing yeah 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 no that was uh, that was just uh i mean it was just such a momentous day for all of us and and again it i could have just gone and run it by myself and you know enjoy it, but the fact that you know i had so many uh wonderful humans uh you know willing to you know share Gabe's story, you know, be part of my journey. There, there may have been a tear or two that was shed by the time we got to the finish. So yeah, yeah, no, it was awesome. I think everybody so, was crying. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Well, thank you, Phil, so much. But um, let me ask you one more thing. What would you tell someone in your shoes or a family member or, you know, somebody that has to deal with cancer right now? What is a positive thing that they can do just to get out of any kind of darkness they find themselves in as, as, as much as that's possible? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing, um, honestly, the, the one thing that really revealed itself to me, you know, through my journey, and, you know, my journey is not over, right? You know, there's, there's still no guarantee that, you know, my cancer is not going to, you know, uh, come back, right? I, I'm, you know, I, 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 I I feel secure that, you know, with the knowledge that, hey, there's a possibility that, you know, it might come back. So, you know, I'm certainly not proclaiming myself cancer free and, you know, I can live my, the rest of my life cancer free. There's always that risk, right? So I, my point is that, you know, I, I am in the same boat with anybody else who's dealing with cancer. And all I can tell you is that don't isolate yourself, okay? You are not in this alone. Uh, your loved ones, your friends, your family, they are all invested in you. And it, it, the, the more you isolate yourself, the more you're letting cancer consume you. But if you embrace everybody that's reaching out to you, all the love that's being um, uh, extended to you, then use that, wield that as a weapon against cancer and you know, use that to try and inspire yourself to get up and move forward. I really do believe that if you empower yourself 
to just simply stand up, move forward, you're going to get a step ahead of cancer. But by sitting there, you know, feeling sorry for yourself, isolating yourself, you're, you're going to let cancer just sit right next to you the entire time and it eventually consume you. So find something that, you know, that brings you inspiration, that brings you joy and embrace that and run with it because that's what gives you hope. If you, otherwise, you know, if you're, if you don't have hope, then what's the point in even moving forward? So that's really the best advice that I can give is just find something that inspires you, embrace, you know, your family, embrace your friends, embrace the love and take that and use it as your fuel to move forward. Thank you, Phil. That's a uh... Very good advice. Thank you so much for joining us. Cool. Okay, lady. Take care now. Stay safe. Okay. You too. All right. Thanks, Phil. That was an awesome interview. Incredibly inspiring. It's amazing what your body can actually do, like what your body can actually endure. So that was really cool to listen to. I mean, it makes me feel like all the little things that I complain about in terms of my running really do not matter. So that was really awesome. Hopefully that inspired you, some of our listeners, and any challenges that you may be going through and maybe how running can inspire you or inspire a family member. So thanks for listening, and make sure to check out next week's podcast. We will be interviewing an author about her journey in running 52 marathons in 52 weeks. So check out that interview next week. And if you could drop us a review over at iTunes and make sure to check out our social media. And we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast. And you can also like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. Our account you can find under WGTR Podcast. Thanks and have a great week of running.